Who do you say that I am? Normally this gospel is preached. Jesus, Peter naming Jesus correctly, and so he has rewarded the church. But I'd like to take another angle, since we do hear this from the Gospel of Mark, where it's not clear that Jesus gives the church over to Peter, and that Jesus allows himself to be named, that God allows himself to be named. Throughout salvation history, it's God who gives man the ability to name creation. And then whenever God reveals himself to man, he does so by offering his name, but a very plain name, I am who am. And then as salvation history continues, these divine names become clearer and clearer that we call God Father, that we call God our warrior, our strength, our rock, until as we come closer to being conformed to the divine image, that Jesus actually allows us to name him. Jesus allows Peter to name him. He says, who do you say that I am? And this is not a way to say that Peter now has dominion over Jesus. But it is a way to say that now, at this moment, the time is complete. God has become man. And now it is time for man to become like God. And so whenever Peter is able to name Jesus, this is now the time in which Jesus says, it is time for you to become like God, now that you have the ability to name me. And so I'd like to talk about the means with which Jesus gives that, and a few notes about that. The obvious means is right after Jesus makes this um, subject, sub, uh, subjugation of himself under Peter, is that he tells them that they must carry their cross. And so I'd like to make three points about this carrying of the cross. Because this carrying of the cross is going to be the means by which Peter and the disciples become like God. The first point is notice what Jesus in the Gospels tells the disciples to leave and what he tells them to carry. The first time that he calls the disciples, he tells them to leave their nets the means by which they provide and feed themselves, the means by which they exercise their gifts. He tells them to leave that. But then he says, in order to become like me, that you might become like God, you must take up your cross. Now, I want to focus on that word, your cross, because many of us do not have the charity right now to truly carry the cross of Jesus that we do not yet suffer for the whole world. But what we do is suffer for our own sinfulness and our own weakness. That our cross is oftentimes not the cross of Christ, but the cross of St. Dismas, the good thief, who suffers justly for his own sins. And so beginning, following Christ and conforming to him, we do carry our own cross, the cross of our own weakness and sinfulness. And we leave behind our nets. And it's often by carrying our own cross, and a matter of fact, almost for everybody, that we truly become conformed to Jesus. If a man habitually struggles with a certain sin, 
and then in desiring to overcome that sin, fights so readily against it. Does Jesus just just reward that man with overcoming that sin? No. Oftentimes, what happens is that man comes closer to love for the church and the liturgy, comes closer to his own family. Because he pursues one virtue, he pursues all the virtues because they are connected together. Because maybe a mother is overwhelmed with her family life and children. She reaches out and she desires that a prayer life is the only way. That from this weakness and this overwhelming stress, that the only way to cope with this is to turn to the Lord in prayer. Does the Lord just provide stress relief? Hopefully not. Hopefully the Lord brings that woman closer to his most sacred heart. That Jesus does not ask us to come with our nets to follow him. He asks us to come with our own crosses. Because where that wound of our own heart meets Jesus' wounded heart, there we will find redemption and salvation. We do fall into sometimes this error when a lot of times we think the Lord has to fill me up first before I can give of myself at all. The Lord just wants me to focus on me. And that's not true. The Lord does certainly provide refreshment. Read in Psalm 23 that the Lord leads us to verdant pastures. But before that, the psalmist also says that there's nothing I shall want. That if we trust the Lord with our woundedness, then he will refresh us in his time. But keep in mind as well that whenever Jesus goes to do his greatest act of charity, he is not first filled to overflowing. He is wounded in his passion. He is beaten up. That when Mary has to suffer for Jesus, she is wounded by the sword that pierces her own heart. Oftentimes, the greatest acts of charity that God calls from us is when we are already wounded, like Jesus and Mary were. The second point is there is a true prudence in this self-offering, in this carrying of the cross. There is a real prudence. I was reflecting on this yesterday at the tailgate that we did for the first home game. I knew that I wanted this tailgate to be the best that we could possibly offer. And this was the most people that students said were at just UL student tailgating that they've seen since they've been here, a lot of the seniors since they've been here their time at UL. And there was one point where everybody was there, everybody's having a great time. And I'm trying to get the speakers to work. So Dustin, if you're wondering, the speakers did work. But I'm trying to get the speakers to work and they won't work. I'm trying and trying. And then eventually, I just gave up, and I was totally defeated. It's realizing that's not the kind of burnout and self-offering that the Lord is asking. In other words, keep the main thing the main thing. Gary Lagrange says this in his book, Three Ages of the Interior Life, that whenever man takes, no longer takes religion seriously, but takes other things seriously, it leads him to despair and confusion and misery that sometimes we carry crosses that we're not asked to carry and that we die on hills that we're not asked to die on. And so the Lord expects us to carry our crosses prudently because recall that the Lord only dies in the Gospels one time. 
and he evades death several times. Several times the chief priests and the scribes seek to arrest Jesus, and he flees. Several times the crowd presses in on him, and he passes through them. That what Jesus does is he knows when his sacrifice is called upon and when it will save souls, and when his sacrifice will be confused for something else. Again, Jesus charges the disciples to keep his identity secret so that he's not mistaken for someone who he's not. That Christ asks us to sacrifice, but he asks us to sacrifice for the salvation of souls and nothing less than that. The third point is this following that Jesus asks of us. This following. And that if we follow Jesus, then we do it with remembrance. And this can't be emphasized enough. That in the moments of temptation, but not just temptation, in moments of suffering, when our crosses are very evident, that we have an inner monastery within ourselves where we're aware of God's presence and we are able to remember. We heard in the first reading how this suffering servant has his beard plucked so that he can so that he can save and suffer for the minute. But he can have his beard plucked because he's acutely aware that his hairs of his head are counted by the Lord who loves him. Oftentimes, if we live in a state of unawareness of God's presence now, that will only increase and we will be blinded whenever we are in suffering now and we will suffer poorly. And so being constantly aware of the Lord's loving gaze and of his loving presence allows me to suffer with perspective and to suffer with a light heart. And so keeping in mind, again, that one, Christ does not ask us to bring with us our nets, but he does ask us to carry our cross. Because it is through our weakness that the Lord accepts us. Because the beloved loves to be leaned upon. Second, that Christ asks us to suffer prudently. He doesn't just ask us to suffer regardless and to burn out for the sake of of whatever the crowd desires of us. But he asks us to suffer for the salvation of souls, and that this is what is worth suffering death for. And then thirdly, that the Lord asks us to suffer following him, and to do so with memory. Recalling that before Christ goes, right after Christ tells the disciples that they must suffer, the very next thing that he desires to give them is a memory. The memory of the transfiguration. And so we ask that the Lord, in our ability to carry the cross with grace, can allow us to be conformed to him, so that as we name him Christ, he may name us uh, his beloved.